Good morning. My name is Jason Reichold. The scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of John. I'll be reading from chapter 13, verses 4, 5, and 12 to 15. Hear the word of the Lord. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jason. Uh, i got to turn this like this. There we go. Okay. We are wrapping up our uh, sermon series called Less is More this week. And as we kind of try to put a bow on this sermon series, the whole point behind this was sort of me as a new pastor here just seeking the Lord's will on, God, what do you want for Grace 242? What kind of church do you want us to be? And that's what this series has been about. And so today we sort of wrap up the series um, with this sermon called Less Getting more giving. But we're going to start again with a game that you all get to participate in. Okay, this is called online sales over and under. So these are real online sales. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a price that's going to serve as like a betting line. I feel like we should have some, we got to get some pumping music going on here. Yeah, right now, like, you know, um, like game show type stuff. But um, I'm going to give you a price that's going to serve as a betting line. And then you have to tell me whether you think the actual sale price of the item was over the the betting line price or under the betting line price. That's right. We bet here at Grace 242. So you give me a thumbs up if you think the actual sale price is over the line or under thumbs down if you think it's under the line. So the first one is someone's wisdom teeth. All right. The line is at 10 bucks. Do you think these wisdom teeth sold for over $10 or under $10? All right. Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Actual sale price is $20. So the over has it. Over has it. All right. Next one. Getting on the celebrity train with this one. Piece of French toast partially eaten by Justin Timberlake, okay? $2,000 is the line. Over or under? Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Actual sale price is $3,154. The over has it. The over has it. Okay, continuing with the celebrity theme. You remember when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were together? So someone supposedly had a jar of their breath, okay? So this is a jar of Brangelina's breath. The line is at $575. Over or under? Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Actual sale price, $530. The under has that one. Okay. Used dentures. The line is at $40. All right. Actual sale price over or under? Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Sale price, $38.99. So the under has that one. Next one. Lock of J. Beeb's hair. Okay, lock of Justin Bieber's hair. The line is at 90 grand. The line is at 90 grand. Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Actual sale price is $40,668. Now with this one, I go, oh, good. No one paid 90, you know, (laughs) nobody paid 90 grand for Justin's hair. But then I go, but wait a minute. Someone paid 40 grand for Justin's hair. You know, like what? We got a problem in this country. Okay, Uh, next one. Sweatpants autographed by Gary Coleman. Okay, the line is at $300,000. All right, over or under, lock in your answer. Three, two, one. 
Oh, yeah. $400,000. Oh, yeah, there's some music. That's good. Um, yeah, $400,000. So the overs have it. Okay. Trigger warning. This next one will haunt you forever. Okay? This is a life-size sculpture of Michael Jackson and Bubbles. Okay? The line for the life-size sculpture and Nightmares for Life is at $5 million. Is the actual sale price over or under $5 million? Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. It is $5.6 million. The over. That's good, Tony. Thank you. I like that. Thank you. All right. Next one. Britney Spears' chewed gum. $14,500 is the line. Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Actual sale price, fourteen dollars Next one, Scarlett Johansson used tissue. Okay, the line is at seven grand. Over or under? Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. Five thousand three hundred dollars is the actual sale price. The under has that. I think this is the last one. This is the last one. A handful of Elvis's hair. I don't know what it is with the hair stuff. All right, two, tw- uh, twenty-five grand is the line. Twenty-five grand is the line. Lock in your answer. Three, two, one. A hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. For Elvis's hair. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for the music. I mean, if I was just a celebrity, I would just take my garbage can, put it out, and then put like a, you know, $1,000 every week to take my garbage, you know? And now I'm getting paid for you to take my garbage away, right? Seriously, this game reveals, well, first of all, it reveals that we have a celebrity worship problem here in America, for real. But more importantly, the only reason why I play this game, well, it's fun too, but the only, at least I think it's fun. But the, uh, the reason why I play this game is I just want to drive the point home that we live in a buying culture because we got people that are willing to drop over a hundred grand on Elvis's hair. All right. We live in a culture that loves to buy things. And so we live in this culture that loves to buy and loves to get. And I'm sure that, you know, we got, at least I really hope we don't have anybody in here that's dropping thousands of dollars on celebrities, gum or hair, right? We don't have anybody in here that's doing that, right? But I think many of us know the, the, the happiness of clicking place order on Amazon, right? You know the happiness of clicking place order? Absolutely. It's fun to buy stuff. And, and, oh, and he's here today. Oh, Steve, I just thought of a story. So I was talking with Steve, and um, somehow we got to talking about space and how you kind of need different space spaces for the different times of life. And I mean, I have plenty of space in my home right now, but it seems like space just keeps getting filled up with junk, and stuff. And I'm like, how do we just keep acquiring? It's like we can, we acquire faster than we can even get rid of, you know? And, and space just keeps filling. We have plenty of space in our house, but it just keeps filling up. And I was telling Steve this. I'm like, I don't know why it keeps filling up. And Steve says, well, it's fun to buy stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, that's not really profound, but he's so right. He's right. It's fun to buy stuff. We know the happiness of buying stuff and getting stuff. And so we live in this culture of of getting and this culture of buying, but Christ's vision for the church was that we would be a culture of giving and a culture of servants. And so if we're going to move from from being a culture of buying and a culture of getting to being the church, which is supposed to be a culture of giving and a culture of serving, then there's a few challenges that we face as we try to make that shift and make that exchange from being getters to being giver servants, all right? And the first challenge that we're facing as a church is this challenge of consumerism. Now, we've already been talking about this, but we are a culture that loves to consume. And I, as a dad, I see this consumerism bred into children at a very young age. All right. Whether we even know it or or not, or whether we realize it or not, our kids are bred to be consumers at a very young age. And I see this when I go down the toy aisle. 
okay? Because when I go down the toy aisle at Target, there is a whole row now. I was just there earlier this week. There's a whole row at Target that's full of brands like LOL Surprise and Pick Me Pops, okay? So I'm going to address LOL Surprise on the left, okay? LOL Surprise is that ball that you see on the left there. This is a pet version. What will come out of that ball is junk. I mean, it really is junk. Because what the child will end up with once they've unwrapped that ball is like five plastic figurines on Happy Meal quality level, okay? That's what the child will end up with, with once they've unwrapped that ball. But what the child has to do in order to get those five, you know, junky figurines out of there is they have to unwrap layer after layer. And it's like, here's some, you know, tactile sand that now you, and now you move this and now you open this up and then here's the other figurine. And it's a surprise. You don't know what five figurines are in there. And so what these toy makers are doing is I feel like they're psychologists, because they found a way to like tap into the child's brain and like they're like electricians in there, like pulling wires around and like rewiring and, and like pl- moving plugs around and they're just messing with kids' brains because they're like, we've discovered that kids get happy when they open stuff. And so who cares what they end up with, but we're gonna give them something that taps into that happiness, that dopamine burst in their brain about opening something. All right? And they wind up with basically junk, but it's all about the happiness, the momentary happiness that they get of opening up that toy. And the same thing for pick-me-pops on the left. What you end up with really isn't that great of an item. But again, they've tapped into this happiness in the child's brain of opening something up. All right? And so they bred this consumerism into our kids at a young age. There was a commercial that came out this past Christmas, Christmas 2018. And Brynn would just stop and watch this commercial. I'm kind of, in ways, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad she's sick today. I'm not glad she's sick, but I'm glad she's not here. She's sick. I'm kind of glad she's not here today because she, she, she would just stop and watch this commercial. And there's a particular part of this commercial that you're going to see that I want to talk about that just totally tapped into that child's brain. So go ahead and roll that, roll that target There's a particular part of that commercial that just drew our daughter in. And that particular part is where the gifts pop open to reveal what's inside. That was like cocaine for our daughter. Because she just sat and like was totally immersed in this commercial. And they're tapping into this thing in their brains, this dopamine drip where the excitement of opening something is there and our kids are being bred to be consumers. And so we're breeding generations of consumers, breeding generations of getters, but yet we're supposed to be a culture of giver servants. So consumerism is one of the challenges that we face as a church on our way to becoming a giving servant culture. The other challenge that I want to identify that's a problem is price is law. This is another challenge that we face on our way to becoming a giving, serving culture. So there was this British scientist and physicist, his name is Derek Price, and he did some observation of people and organizations. And based off of his, organ, uh, of his observation of people and organizations, he posited this kind of law based off of what he said. And the law says this, and don't worry, I'll, I'll illustrate it, but the law says this. The square root of the number of people in a domain do 50% of the work. 
the square root of the total number of people in an organization or in a group or in a domain, the square root of the total number of people, those people do half the work of that organization, of that group, or of that domain. So what they've done is they've observed classical music. And this is true for classical music because there are, out of all of the classical composers and out of all of the classical music, there are basically the big five, okay? There is Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Tchaikovsky, and Mozart. And only these five guys comprise half of classical musical repertoire. So chances are, if you're playing or listening to classical music, it's 50-50 that it comes from either Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Tchaikovsky, or Mozart, right? So you have this small segment of composers that comprises this overwhelming majority of classical music. You following me so far? And then the rabbit hole goes even deeper because 5% of the music that these composers wrote is half of what's played. So much, much, much of what these guys wrote isn't even played. Only 5% of what these five guys wrote is half of the music that is played. And so this, the point I'm making with this Price's Law is that you have a small group of people, a small segment of people, a small piece of the pie that accounts for half of the output and half of the work. And they've seen this in organizations. So let's just for a second, let's just for fun, let's just apply Price's Law to Grace 242. Let's say that there's 100 people here at Grace 242, which is pretty accurate. And we square a root that, we get the number of 10. So according to Price's Law, that would mean that 10 people are responsible for 50% of the output of Grace 242, or 10 people are responsible for half the work of Grace 242. Now, I don't think this is true, praise the Lord. All right, but this is this is something that is going to be a force that pulls us back to this small group of people accounting for half of the work, accounting for a large amount of the work. So what are we supposed to do? If we live in this consumeristic getting buying culture, and if there is sort of this natural law at play where a small group of people account for an overwhelming majority of the output or an overwhelming majority of the work, what are we supposed to do? Well, the good news is is that we have two supernatural people or persons, rather, on our side. I was talking with a friend of mine who has been in business a long time, and he's studied organizations and leadership and things like that, and he was talking about Price's Law. And his words were, Price's Law is true, and there's just nothing you can do about it. It's just true. And I thought to myself, well, in the secular world, maybe that is true. In the secular world and in the business world, maybe it is just, there's nothing you can do about it. That's just the way it is. You've got to figure out how to work around it, or you've got to figure out how to deal with it. But we don't live in the secular world we live in the supernatural world, and we have two supernatural persons on our side that can help us on our way to becoming a giving, serving culture. And the first person is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to be giver servants. We've been coming back to this passage, Acts 2, over and over again, and I think it's fitting because we're named after Acts 2.42. Grace 2.42 is named after Acts 2.42. 2.42, and Acts 2 is the launch of the church, and Acts 2 is Christ launching his church. And, and I, I think that it's exciting to come back to Acts 2 because when Grace 2.42 was formed, the, the people said, we believe that the realities and the excitement of the early church can actually be a reality here at Grace 2.42 in our day today. We look at what happened with the early church in Acts 2 and with the launch of Christ church, and we want that for God's church here today at Grace 2.42. So it's exciting to be a part of that, to say we actually think that's possible, and we want to pursue that, and that's who we want to be. 
All right. And so we begin at the beginning of chapter two, and this is church launch. Christ has ascended up into heaven to go back to his dad. And before he goes back to his dad, he tells his disciples, hey, go into the city of Jerusalem and I want you to wait there because I'm leaving you, but I'm going to send you a gift. And so his disciples, now apostles, head to the city of Jerusalem and they're waiting in the city for this gift that Jesus promised them. And here's where we pick it up. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And so these followers of Jesus are waiting, these apostles of Jesus are waiting for the gift he sends them and they receive that gift, they receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers them to do supernatural things to build up the church because Christ had given him the great commission and he said, go make disciples of everybody. Go make disciples of every nation, tribe, tongue, or every nation, tribe, and tongue. Well, you need to know the language of all these other tribes and all these other tongues that you're supposed to go to and make disciples of. And so you have the Holy Spirit who comes, fills those apostles, and in that moment gives them this supernatural ability to speak other languages. And so God is already equipping them to do the work of his church, to serve, to be servants in the Great Commission, all right? I think to myself, I don't live like this is true. And I wish I did. I don't reconcile with the reality that God lives in me enough. Like, I ought to wake up every morning and be like, God's living in me. God's living in me. I think about this longing that we have to be with Jesus and to see Jesus, and that's our hope, right? That's our hope, is that one day we'll meet Jesus face to face and we'll get to hug that first century Jew man, all right, who came incarnate, died for us. That's a great hope that we have, and I look forward to that. And, but you hear this longing about, of being with Jesus, and that's a good thing. But I think to myself, you know, we might not be with Jesus right now in, in his flesh, in his incarnate flesh, but We have God living inside of us. The apostles went from Jesus with them to the Holy Spirit in them. And the same thing is true of believers today. What if I actually woke up in the morning and reconciled with the reality that I have God living inside of me? (laughs) That he took up residence in my heart and that he empowers me to do things that are not possible and not natural in the natural world but he empowers me to do things that are supernatural. And Peter gets all worked up like I am right now. And he talks, he he gets up and he starts preaching this sermon. All right. And he sees as the Holy Spirit is filling his disciples, he sees this fulfillment of this passage in Joel, this prophecy in Joel. And he knows his Hebrew Bible. And so as he looks out, he's like, oh my goodness, this is Joel. Joel talked about this. And he says this, he quotes Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And so Peter is seeing this fulfillment of Joel happening right in front of his eyes. And then later on, the apostle Paul is going to pick up on that word prophecy as one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to his followers. And Paul says this, he says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Okay, well, why does the Holy Spirit empower us with these gifts? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work 
and build up the church, the body of Christ. This is why the Holy Spirit gifts us in these supernatural ways so that we can build up his church and be the servants that he's called us to be. I have a friend who started this new podcast called Surviving Ministry. He's a friend from undergrad at Moody Bible Institute, and he's now a pastor in Memphis. And he interviews colleagues and friends of his in ministry. So I'm like, when are you going to interview me? He's like, when you come to Memphis. I'm like, ugh. But anyway, uh, so, so he had this first episode of the podcast, and, um, and uh, I listened to it. And, and my friend, who's the host, Seth Stevens is his name, Seth had this great quote. Now, it's not his quote. He's quoting somebody else, like a teacher in his life. I don't know who this teacher is, but he quotes somebody else. But he says this, and I love this quote. Spiritual gifts aren't what's given to you. It's what's given through you to the church. Spiritual gifts aren't what's given to you. It's what's given through you to the church. And so believers and followers of Jesus have this supernatural empowering of God, his very self living inside of us, his Holy Spirit, empowering us to be the servants that he called us to be, building up his church. That's the first person we have on our side is the Holy Spirit who empowers us as his followers and as his servants to build up the church. And then the second person we have on our side is this supernatural, incredible image of Jesus, his example that he gave us of what it means to be a follower of him. So sometimes I think about being a disciple at the Last Supper, and I think it's just too much. I would be walking out of there like, what in the world is going on? Because he's talking about being betrayed, and he's got his wine out, and this is my blood poured out for you, and this is bread, is my body broken for you? And I'd just be like, "What what is going on here? And then he tops it all off with this little number. So he gets up from the table, Jesus, and takes off his robe, wraps a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. What is going on? After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and said, do you understand what I'm doing? I'd be like, nope. If I was a disciple, no, I don't understand. You care to elaborate? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Oh, that really clears it up. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Jesus, right? But the disciples are just stunned because their teacher and their Lord just abruptly gets into a towel and begins washing their feet and doing the work of a slave. This venerated teacher that they've just learned from for three years has now just taken the position of a a slave and starts to wash their feet. And Peter, who can't keep his mouth shut, is like, ah, uh, I should be washing your feet. Okay, then wash my whole body. And and Jesus is just like, be quiet, Peter. Right now is your time to listen. And I'm giving you an example to follow. I'm the teacher right now. Just be quiet and listen for once. Right? But Jesus gives this this powerful image of being a servant and washing his disciples' feet. And he's saying, this is what it means to be my follower. It means that you are a foot washer. I'm reading a book right now by a pastor called Francis Chan, and he says in his chapter on servanthood, he said, you can't call yourself a Christian and not be a servant. Christians are servants. You can't call yourself a Christian and not be a servant. Christians are servants, and this is the image that Jesus gives to his disciples of being a foot washer. Maybe I'll wrap up this sermon by, I have two stories of foot washers. The first foot washer is a guy, a friend of mine, his name is Mike DePoctor, 
And Mike DeBachter has been a youth leader at First Presbyterian Oostburg forever. He was a youth leader when I was brought on staff there, and he's still a youth leader to this day. He's a plumber in Oostburg, and he runs his plumbing business. But this guy has discovered the joy of foot washing and the joy of being a servant. And one time I sat down with him and just took some video as I kind of interviewed him about being a servant and being a foot washer. So go ahead. Some of the ministries I'm involved in are helping the the junior high youth group. I help around the church, um, plumbing needs usually around the church because I'm a plumber. There's a mission group I got involved with down in Milwaukee, uh, Dellum Outreach. I've plumbed a couple bathrooms down there, helping uh, just local needs around the community. Um, when, When people call and ask for, they need a volunteer or somebody has a plumbing need that they can't quite handle themselves, I go in and help them out with that. Yes, there was a time I wasn't involved. Um, I guess I probably just didn't know what my spiritual gifts were. Um, I think I sort of knew I was always good with my hands and helping out other people. I, I started to get involved when um, other mentors of mine called me for certain projects they were involved in and they needed an extra hand, so I'd help them out. And that's how I got involved. The main reason I'm involved with stuff like this is I, the youth group, I try to get involved. I want to try to catch these kids when they're young um, so I can be a person they can come to, they can trust when they have issues. The plumbing stuff I do is mean it's a skill I have. Um, pretty much good with anything with my hands, so manual labor, anything I feel I can help out. And it just I just want the chance to maybe make a difference in somebody's life. Faith-wise, it, it makes my faith a lot stronger when I when I see people changing. Just the. Uh, the joy of making a, a difference, um, helping someone out when when they're sometimes just at the bottom, sometimes of their life, um, just things have gone wrong, out of their control. But and I just do it because I'm so blessed. I got four healthy kids and stuff I can't even imagine what people go through. So I count my blessings every day, and my kids aren't always perfect. Um, (laughs) They're healthy. I guess uh, if you're not really involved in anything else other than sitting in church every Sunday, I guess you you got to put yourself out there and really trust that through the Holy Spirit you're going to make a difference. Good. It's, It's not about you, it's about listening to the Holy Spirit and and working through that. So I love Mike. He's my friend. He's a foot washer, and he's embodying that example, that image that Jesus gives us of being a foot washer. And then when you talk to him about it, he names the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's another, the second story about a foot washer I have is kind of an inadvertent foot washing, um, but it's about my barber. And this story is messy and convoluted and tangled. But I'm also mindful that life is messy, and I'm also mindful that foot washing is messy. That's why it was relegated to slaves, 
the work of the slaves because it's disgusting feet that are dirty and gross. I don't want to wash people's feet right now. (laughs) And you put them in shoes, but this story is kind of messy. So I visited my barber recently and Okay, so I'm going to say it the easy way, and then we'll say it the theologically correct way. The easy way to say it is, my barber's sister married another woman. The theologically correct way to say it is, my barber's barber's sister entered into a civil union with another woman, right, in a ceremony. And I knew that my barber had been wrestling with what it meant to have a sibling um, who is rela- romantically involved with another woman and, and all that. And, and uh, so the last time I visited her, this ceremony, we'll call it a ceremony where her sister entered into the civil union, this ceremony had transpired. And I asked her about it, and she was telling me, and she was telling me about wrestling with all of this and what it meant, and you know, if, if, if she was going to go, how involved would she have been, and, and what does it mean for her to be involved because it's her sister and, and all this stuff. And, and she was telling me about this ceremony, and she was telling me about the, the night was wrapping up, and they had rented out this hall for a reception. And they had to return the hall to its state before they left for the night. So they had to clean everything up, put the decorations away, whatever. And she said, my barber said that her and her mom were running around trying to get this hall back to normal before leaving. And, and they had a bunch of you know, younger people there who wanted to go out afterwards. So my barber's sister wanted to go out. My barber's sister partner wanted to go out. And my barber's sister's partner's friends wanted to go out and all this stuff. So she and her mom, my barber and her mom are running around and they're trying to get everything cleaned up. And she said, Bill, I was so mad because here I am running around trying to clean everything up. And my, um, you know, my sister's partner's friends or the other side of the family, as it were, are just sitting there and they're like complaining about how late it is and how they want to get going and how much work there is to do. And she's like, Bill, I wanted to open my mouth and be like, well, if you pick something up, you know, you could help us get out of here. If you stop complaining and just do something, we could all get out of here on time. You know, she's like, but I kept my mouth shut because this is my sister's new person. And she's kind of becoming part of the family. And I want to love her, even if I disagree with the decision she's making. And, you know, I don't want to be this marked woman that who, oh, look, she hates them already and, and everything. So she's like, I was, I just kept my mouth shut and I just did the job, you know, and, and I just got this smile on my face. And I told my barber, I said, I'm smiling because there's something Christ-like about what you did in that moment. Because you were a servant. Here you and your mom are at a ceremony that you don't even agree with. (laughs) That stands in opposition to what you believe as a follower of Jesus. And yet you found a way to serve these people and show the love of Christ to these people, no matter how frustrating it was. You were a servant in that moment. And she stopped. She's like, I never thought of it that way. She's like, I'm going to call my mom and tell her about this. You know? And I thought to myself later on, I thought, my barber's sister doesn't know Jesus. My barber's sister's new partner doesn't know Jesus. And I would hedge a big bet that my barber's sister's partner's friends don't know Jesus. And yet she was Jesus in that room. And she was Jesus to them because she was a servant. She found a way to love them like Jesus would have loved them and serve them. It was awesome. It was this awesome story. I loved hearing it. I loved hearing it. God wants for his church that we wouldn't be a culture of getting. We live in a culture of getting. We live in a culture of consumerism. He calls his followers to be servants, to be givers. 
Remember, we have two supernatural persons on our side. We have the Holy Spirit empowering us in a supernatural way, and we have this supernatural picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. God wants Grace 242 to be foot washers. Amen.